Pastor Mark Joe. The alarm is a spiritual wake-up call. Your environment has affected you and you are like the water that you so despise. I wish you were hot, I wish you were cold, but somehow your temperature has become lukewarm. Welcome to Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm John Geiger, and you know, when you think about it, wake-up calls can make us or break us. They make us if we pay attention and wake up. But if we ignore them, wow, you know that disaster awaits, and we've all been there. I have. But the same is also true spiritually. We all need wake-up calls. We need to respond to those wake-up calls. And that is the essence of today's message, Your Spiritual Wake-Up Call. It was originally addressed to a church in Laodicea in modern-day Turkey. Our text is Revelation chapter 3, our series, Going Deeper. Now, there's been a lot of heavy truth, a lot of stuff that's been tough to work through, but I've noticed that we've got a lot of response as well. Lots of folks are downloading the podcast. They're grappling with these truths, and they're wanting to know how they can really and truly go deeper, not just go through the motions of a, of a fake and shallow Christian life. So if you want to get on board, by the way, don't miss the downloads available for you at our website, moodypresents.org. Laodicea needed a big wake-up call. Here was a church that, well, in the words of the writer, was neither hot nor cold spiritually not cool. Let's get right to our message in Mark's series, Going Deeper Beyond Shallow Spirituality, as we take a look now at the church at Laodicea and how you and I can wake up from spiritual lukewarmness. Have you ever been to a hotel where you dial downstairs the receptionist's desk and you say, at six o'clock in the morning, give me a wake-up call? And why do you ask for a wake-up call? You ask for a wake-up call because you don't trust yourself to wake up on time. You feel like unless there's an external power, a ring, a noise, a light, to wake me up that I on my own ability and power am not going to wake up on my own. So I need a wake-up call from the outside. I've entitled this morning's message, A Spiritual wake-up call. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We're on our last message in our series entitled Deeper Beyond Shallow Spirituality. And this is one of the most powerful messages sent to the seven churches of Revelation. It's the final church in Revelation. There are seven letters that were written to seven churches, seven literal churches. These were churches that were in cities that are found currently in the country of Turkey, seven of them. The church of Laodicea, which is the final church that's written to, was a church in a city, and they had a big problem. They needed a spiritual wake-up call. And this letter here is a spiritual wake-up call to people that were struggling in their spiritual lives. I've been praying for you this morning, and my prayer for you this morning has been, God, if there are people in this 
auditorium this Sunday morning that need an external wake-up call, some sort of alarm to go off, some sort of bell to ring in their spirit, may it be my voice, may it be this message, may it be this passage, waking people up to the reality of God. And so I pray this morning that as we go through this passage, if God is speaking to your heart, that you will hear the alarm of the Spirit of God waking you out of your slumber and saying, now is the time, today is the day, this is the season. I'm reading in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, I write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. So this seventh letter is written to a group of people that needed a major wake-up call in their life. Out of the seven churches that are written, this is the only church that doesn't receive a commendation. Normally, when the letter starts out, it says, I know your deeds, and, and there's a good word given to them, something like, hey, you've been faithful or you've persevered, but this is the only church that does not receive a commendation, a word of encouragement. They're not affirmed in any way. And then Jesus introduces himself and he says, these are the words of the amen. He refers to himself as the amen. Now, some of you have been around the church culture for a while and you've heard that word amen used. Right At the end of a prayer, people say Amen. When someone else is praying, you say, amen. My, my kids don't like it when they pray, if we pray together, because when they pray, I like to agree with them. So I'm saying, yes, Jesus, amen. My daughter especially says, dad, I can't concentrate if you keep talking like that. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just agreeing with you, honey. I like to, I like to like, be with you in it. Amen means so be it. At the end of a prayer, when you say amen, you are saying, so be it. May it be what I have prayed. When someone else says something that's strong that you believe in, that, that is true, uh, even as I preach at times, some of you will say amen. Because it means so be it. Yes, I agree. I affirm that. And Jesus says, I am the ultimate, capital A, amen. What I say may it be done. Every word that I declare, may it happen, because I am the ultimate amen, Jesus says. And then he says, I am the faithful and true witness. I love that about Jesus. I love that Jesus is faithful. You know what faithful means? It means that he's always there, that he never misses a beat, that you can always trust his word, that he never fails, that he never promises something that he won't deliver, that he never takes a vacation, that you never are put on call waiting when you talk to him. 
he never is slumbering or sleeping, but that God is faithful. He's there 24-7 all the time. He's reliable. You know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that about my Lord. He is faithful. He is the amen. He is the faithful, true witness, and he is the ruler of God's creation. He introduces him that, that way to the church of Laodicea, and then he jumps into business. He doesn't fill the first part of the letter with a bunch of nice platitudes. He jumps right into the content. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, that's not a nice letter. It's pretty serious. What is it that made him so, so strong that he literally says, he literally says, your condition is nauseating me? I mean, you can read through the Bible a lot of times in the New Testament. Usually Jesus is full of a lot of mercy. He's usually full of a lot of grace. There's a lot of compassion. He says words of affirmation. But in this passage, he says, because you are neither hot nor cold, he says, I'm about, anybody know what this is? That's right, a barf bag. The literal translation there is not spit. The literal translation is, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, here's what happens when we get sick. You eat something that's not uh, cooked right, or you eat something that has bacteria. What happens is that your body says, this does not belong in your body. This needs to be out. And so your body has this mechanism, this ejection mechanism. And it seeks to empty your body of whatever does not belong and so you have this reaction, and when someone's about to experience that reaction, we give them a barf bag, right? I'm not going to get too graphic with this, but you all know the story. And you all know when it's happening, it's your body's way of saying, this does not belong in you. This will make you ill, so get it out of your system. Here's the question I have. What makes Jesus sick to his stomach? What makes God so upset that he says, I want this out now? It's got to be pretty severe, right? It's got to be something really, really serious. It's got to be something that, wow, to make the heart of God sick, it has to be something really deep, really that he loathes, really that he can't stand. What is it? It boils down to one thing. Listen, it boils down to lukewarm spirituality. That's Pastor Mark Job, and this is Moody Presents. We're going to return to our discussion about lukewarm spirituality in a moment. Hope you're waking up, by the way. First, this thought, how would you like to enjoy a 50% discount off of everything in the Moody Publishers catalog? Imagine getting half off their entire line of Bible studies, DVDs, devotionals, biographies, kids' books, and more. Well, this 50% discount is yours when you support Moody Presents with a monthly partnership of $30 or more. 
It's an easy thing to set up online at moodypresents.org. Again, that's moodypresents.org. You know, there's nothing worse than a plumbing problem in your home. Well, you know, the city of Laodicea had a huge plumbing problem. They did. (laughs) And God compared it to their spiritual condition. Now, in order to understand what lukewarmness is, you have to understand the, the city of Laodicea, because the city of Laodicea had a plumbing problem. Uh, I, uh, I had a little bit of a plumbing problem earlier in my house. Thank God I have a brother-in-law that's a plumber, and he fixed my plumbing problem. But when I would turn on the hot water, it would take a long time to get hot water. And if you have that in your house, you turn it on, and it's cold, 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 cold. I'm like, is this working? And then finally, finally, a couple minutes into it, the water gets a little warm. And, 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 and that's okay when you're washing dishes, but when you're taking a shower, that's not a fun thing. Well, the church of Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, although it was a wealthy city, a prosperous city, it was known for its banking industry, for its Uh, mercantile industry. They were famous for black wool and for their medical schools. Those were the three things that Laodicea was known for. It was a wealthy city, so much so that they had built amphitheaters and they had built public places of amusement and temples and shopping centers, so to speak. It was a huge, prosperous, middle-class city that was very proud of their accomplishments, but in all of their infrastructure and so forth, they had a major problem. They had a plumbing problem. Laodicea had no natural water of its own, and so they would import the water. The closest cities that had natural water springs were Heropolis, which was seven miles away, and Colossae, which was 10 miles away. Now, Heropolis had water, but it had water that came from volcanic underground, and so this water came from hot springs, and the water would naturally come out boiling hot. I had a chance to visit Turkey a couple years ago, and I've actually been to what was called Laodicea, and I've been in one of those naturally hot springs, and it comes out like you can see the steam coming out naturally from the ground. And it came out that way. Now, the Romans had engineered a way of transporting water from one place to another. If you travel around some of the places that have ancient Roman ruins, you will be introduced to something called aqueducts. Are you familiar with that term? Aqua comes from the word water, and ducts means where the, where the water travels. So they're aqueducts. It would, water would travel on them. And the Romans had engineered systems of uh, of transporting water from one place to another. The problem was that the water would come out at the city of Heropolis burning hot, but then it would travel seven miles, and as it traveled seven miles, it would start to cool down, and by the time it got to Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. Started hot, turned lukewarm. On the other hand, in Colossae, a city that was 10 miles away, they had cold spring water. When the water came out at Colossae, it was this chilly, cold water that would come from deep inside of the earth. Have you ever uh, drank water from a spring that was clear and, 
in, in, in some mountainous range and so forth, and it's just great water. So they would put it on an aqueduct, and the water would travel 10 miles on the aqueduct, but Turkey is a hot place. And it would travel under the beating sun in Turkey, and by the time it reached Laodicea, this cold water had also turned into lukewarm water. So everybody in Laodicea knew that the water was a problem. They knew, they understood, lukewarm water, nasty water. No one liked to drink the water in Laodicea. They figured out forms of how to try to cool the water or how to try to heat the water up. So when John is speaking to this city, he knows that everybody is familiar with this problem. And he says to these people in this congregation, it's not only a plumbing problem that you have, you also have a spiritual problem because you have become like your water. Your water is neither hot nor cold. I don't know a lot of people that say, hey, could I have some lukewarm water to drink? I mean, maybe some of you like it lukewarm. Most of us say, make my tea hot or put ice in my water. I, I don't think I've ever remember being at a restaurant where someone says, could you make my water lukewarm? Just <laughs> not a lot of people. We like it hot. We like it cold. What the Spirit of God is saying is your environment has affected you and you are like the water that you so despise. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. But somehow your temperature has, has become lukewarm. Now, what does it mean uh, to be spiritually lukewarm? Well, to be spiritually lukewarm, let's look at the extremes. When you're boiling hot spiritually, it means that you're on fire, you're passionate, you love God, you're into the things of God, you pray and you worship and you're committed to Him and His purposes are your purposes and your heart is sensitive and when you hear His voice, you respond to His voice, you do the things that God is calling you to, you're yielded to Him, you're not perfect, but there's a passion, a desire, a drive, a hunger for God in your spiritual life. When you're cold, you could care less about spiritual things. You don't want to hear about it. You don't want to be near spiritual things. You pass on spiritual things because your heart is cold. Sometimes we say, oh, that person's cold. That means they have no feeling, no sentiment. They're just, they're just hard. They're cold. They're hard. They're not engaged. When you're lukewarm, it means that you're not way out there cold. You're warm enough so that you're not out there, but you're cold enough so that you're not too passionate. You're sort of riding the middle road. You have enough of God in you to make you show up to church on Sunday. Uh, you have enough of God in you to make you sing a song when people worship, uh, but you don't want to get too far into it. Uh, you're sort of in the middle road, uh, the middle, there's a little bit of indifference, a little bit of apathy, just enough to make you safe, but not enough to make you change. It's the middle road. Now you say, well, why would God feel so strongly about the middle road? 
Well, here's the thing. What is it that cools down our spiritual temperature? What is it that takes a person that's fervent and on fire and passionate and makes them sort of lukewarm? Well, I think he tells us this. And today, if you find yourself, if deep inside as I'm speaking, you say, Pastor, I think I'm lukewarm. I think I'm probably in that lukewarm stage. If you're there, I want you to listen up because God has sent me here this morning to give you a personal, spiritual, abrupt wake-up call. The alarm in your mind and your spirit is going to ring. It's up to you if you ignore that alarm or if you try to to cover your, your spiritual head with a pillow or try to put it on snooze once again. But the alarm is gonna sound this morning. The alarm is a wake up call, a spiritual wake up call, amen? All right, so how do we get lukewarm and how do we wake up More importantly, how do we wake up out of our spiritual lukewarmness? Well, here's what it says. Notice what it says. I'm going to give you four steps to wake out of your spiritual lukewarmness. If you're taking notes this morning, write it down. Number one, look at what it says in verse 17. He says, you say, you say to yourself, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. The first wake-up call, the first step is that you must break the denial mindset and admit your real spiritual condition. You must break the denial mindset and admit your real spiritual condition. Uh, Those of you that have been around the support recovery or 12-step program understand that one of the first steps is to break out of denial, right? Because oftentimes we don't change because we deny the fact that we have a problem. We deny our condition. Denial means that I look myself in the mirror and I lie to myself about the severity of my problem. Denial means that even though other people around me recognize it, I refuse to really admit it or refuse to be honest, brutally, blatantly honest with myself. Uh, in In the recovery, when someone has an addiction, in the denial phase, People around them say, hey, this person has a real drinking problem. They're an alcoholic. Yet you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a social drinker. I could quit any time. I still have a job. It doesn't interfere with my performance. I mean, sure, I drink and I like to, but I could stop any time. I'm not really an alcoholic because I'm not living on the street with a brown bag, unshaven, sleeping under a bridge, and you say, yeah, yeah, I may have a little bit of problem, but I'm not an alcoholic like that guy. You see, you're in the denial phase. 
Uh, you refuse to admit that you can't go a couple of days without drinking. You refuse to admit that that's what you go to to make you feel up and happy. You refuse to admit that now your body and your system requires it for you to function, that every day you have to drink and that some days you get buzzed and drunk and that you have to function that way and that you behave in ways that are different from yourself and if you would have to go dry for a while, it would drive you crazy. You refuse to admit that. That's the denial phase. And you see, you can never deal with your problem until, first of all, you're honest about the nature and severity of your problem. And so, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. Spiritually speaking, what the Spirit of God says to the, uh, the church of Laodicea is that you have a denial problem. You are not admitting how spiritually bad off you are. You think that because your mortgage is paid, and you think that because you drive a car that's only two years old, and you think that because you're dressed nice and your kids go to a private school, you think that life is okay. But how many of you know what we are on the outside is not always what we are on the inside? Thank you, Pastor Mark, for this great insight into Revelation chapter 3. We're going to finish today's message and our entire Going Deeper series next week. Our focus and theme these last few months has been going deeper beyond shallow spirituality. And all of our past programs in this collection are online right now waiting for you to download, waiting for you to listen you ever want to go back and review or share with a friend, head to moodypresents.org, moodypresents.org. I'm John Geiger, hoping you'll be with us next week for the great conclusion to our Going Deeper series. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.